0: Well, just to catch you all up on where we are in the story of Exodus, the people of Israel have been freed after centuries of slavery. Yahweh, God of Israel, has shown themselves to be superior to and more trustworthy than all the gods of Egypt, including the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh, and his most powerful army. And now a new people have been birthed through the waters of the sea and have come out the other side on dry land alive and singing songs of praise to this Yahweh, the God whom they had not known, but now they do know. They are, in fact, God's children. It's all smooth sailing from here, you'd think. Book over. (laughs) But many of you probably know the story better than that. Not three days out, the water runs out and the people complain. God has Moses throw a tree in a lake and the water is miraculously fit to drink. There. Now all smooth sailing. Well, this is how chapter 16 begins. Verses 1 to 3. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly. With hunger. So we are several weeks out of Egypt now, and we're already noticing a theme. Maybe slavery was better than freedom. At least there we knew food was taken care of for us. It's a refrain that comes up again and again in the story as it goes on. The Israelites grumbling and wishing they could go back to Egypt, to slavery. It seems jarring to us maybe today, who know how the story plays out and who are aware of a God whose faithfulness extends to a cross many hundreds of years after the events in the story. But if we were once again to put ourselves in the shoes of a people like the Hebrews, newly freed, yes, and advancing into an unknown future based solely on trust in the promises of this God who has come through so far, well, they reach this point, the wilderness of sin which is not actually the English word sin, as in wrongdoing. It's a transliteration of the Hebrew place name, which is a little bit confusing for us reading it in English. But the word's likely related to, or maybe a shortened form of Sinai, as in Mount Sinai, which is still to come in this story. But in any event, they gaze out into the wilderness, which probably looked something like the land on either side of the 10 freeway as you drive east from Los Angeles towards Arizona, and they despair because everyone knows that there is no life to be found in the wilderness. They would have heard stories about the wilderness, full of wild dogs and vultures, dust and worse, with no food to be found, and even less water. It's a place of death, a place not even the gods venture into. Everyone knows that there's no life to be found in the wilderness. The Israelites, they've been given promises about a land full of life on the other side of this wilderness, but what they see right now is lifeless. We've all found ourselves in lifeless lands at one point or another in our lives. Whatever promised land we hope for seems out of reach, and all we can see is the wilderness surrounding us. Some dream of a promised land of community and belonging, but find themselves lonely, no matter what they try. Some dream of marriage and a family, but find themselves in the endless churn of dating apps as the years tick away. Some dream of financial stability, but are stuck on the treadmill of freelance work and underemployment. Some dream of mental or physical health, but deal day by day with crippling anxiety or chronic illness. Some dream of health for their loved ones, but find themselves helpless and watching as things spiral again. What makes the wilderness so despair-inducing is that in each case we have been told that life is to be found on the other side in the promised land. And everyone knows that there's no life to be found in the wilderness. Some of you may be familiar with Jeff Mannion's book, The Land Between, which came out several years ago now, where he explores this season of Israel's history and sees the wilderness as a place of preparation for the promised land. And it can be that, but I want to look at it in slightly different light because sometimes we, like the first generation of Israelites, we never get out of the wilderness. It's not a place of preparation, at least not for us or not for this world because we remain there our whole lives, surrounded by the wilderness where we have been told that there is no life to be found. The time in my life that felt most like this was between getting fired from being a middle school pastor when I was 27 by an executive pastor who, after acknowledging that I'd never had anything but positive performance reviews, said something along the lines of, let's face it, you don't like us and we don't like you. And by us and we in the plural, he meant himself in the singular, of course, which won't surprise many of you, I imagine. But between that and us moving home from Illinois when I was 35, there were eight years, almost exactly to the day, actually. so (laughs) not quite 40. Close enough. (laughs) And in that time, I worked very part-time on small groups at a church nearby. I was a stay-at-home dad, Then we moved to Illinois for Meredith's job, and I was a stay-at-home dad again, before working 10 hours a week teaching in the kindergarten first grade room at Willow Creek. Then I got bumped up to both write and teach in the fourth and fifth grade room. Then I was very part-time again, taking care of the logistics for a small Sunday night worship service, setting up chairs and organizing childcare. before finally landing a full-time job, this time running logistics for the newly reformed discipleship department, And then realized a couple months into the job that everything was completely stuck and we had no authority to do anything at all. (laughs) For reasons that only became clear a little later when the whole church blew up, but that's another story. And so, while at least for that last stretch the pay was pretty good, I spent a year and a half basically reading and brainstorming in my office by myself (laughs) with no chance of anything I was brainstorming having any impact whatsoever. And I give you that underwhelming little resume To say that what made it wilderness for me was the futility of it all. None of it seemed to matter. I wasn't getting to do any of the things that I thought I was good at or could contribute. Any of the things I thought might be able to make an impact. It was all meaningless. Just going through the motions and spinning my wheels with no one actually caring. No one being impacted. No bigger purpose to it. And no hope that by doing any of it well, that would lead to anything better. I was in the wilderness. And everyone knows that there's no life to be found in the wilderness. Our world tells those in the wilderness to look to the promised land and the life that can be found there. To work and strive and dream to get to the good place. To try like hell to escape the wilderness because it is an accepted fact that everyone knows that there is no life to be found in the wilderness. When you're stuck there, it's death. And the only thing to do is to try and get out. To try and escape. Because the longer you're stuck there, the lower you'll sink. I think we can all probably think of examples for ourselves or those we care about of sinking into the despair of the wilderness, stuck in a place with no life, like the Israelites in the wilderness of sin. The fundamental assumption underlying that despair, the reason that we can sink so low when we find ourselves stuck in the wilderness with no seeming chance of escape, is that we have bought into the great lie that has been told from the beginning of creation until now. That lie, everyone knows there's no life to be found in the wilderness. We read chapter 16, verses 1 to 3 a minute ago, the Israelites despairing as they were confronted with the wilderness. Here's verse 4. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And then verses 11 to 13, Yahweh spoke to Moses. I have heard the complaining of the Israelites say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning, you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And then verse 35, the Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. The great promise of God in this story is not the promised land, that the people will get through the wilderness and out the other side quickly. The promise is not that they will soon get to the place where life can be found after having spent a short season in the wilderness. The promise is that the lie will be exposed, that life is possible in the wilderness, In this story, our God is not one who sets us free or brings us to the promised land. In this story, Yahweh is the one who brings life in the wilderness so that we might find life where everyone knows life can't be found. The perspective of faith is not that God will bring us life by rescuing us from the wilderness, but that we might find life and live abundantly in it. I was driving the kids home from daycare one day, In my wilderness. I don't remember the exact situation, but I was angry with God for leaving me in a place where with all I had to offer, here I was in my thirties, nothing but a stay-at-home dad with no real prospects. Willow wasn't interested in hiring people like me. And I looked in the mirror at Riley and Peyton in the back seat. I guess I would have only seen Riley since Peyton at this point would have been facing backwards, but Riley was probably chattering away at Peyton about something or other. And a realization came to me. I had two healthy sons. And if you look back over the history of humanity, there are literally billions of people who would have given absolutely anything to have that. Not one healthy son, but two. That for billions of people who have lived and died on this earth, they would have considered their life to be as fulfilled as it could possibly be, beyond their wildest dreams. And they could have died happy knowing that they had two healthy Sons. Everyone knows that there's no life to be found in the wilderness, right? No, I had been lied to. There was life in the wilderness. It's, it's just all I could see was death. Some months later, maybe a year, I had forgotten that little lesson. <laughs> this isn't a one-time epiphany sort of problem, this lie about the wilderness, where you have a realization and it's all better, but I'd forgotten or at least hadn't fully come to terms with the truth. So I was feeling sorry for myself, stuck then as the kindergarten, first grade weekend teacher, the wilderness fixated on the impossibility of life there. And I was angry with God again. And again, I had a realization come into my head. You might say God spoke to me if you believe in that sort of thing. And God said simply, here's what's actually true, Curtis. Every single week, every single week, you get to tell hundreds of children about me. I got to tell literally hundreds of kids every single week about the love of a life-giving God who welcomes them into the family, and all I could see was death. Life is not impossible in the wilderness, not by a long shot, not with our God. What this story of manna and quail and water in the wilderness shows us is that despite what seems to be true, despite what we have been told is true, life can be found in the wilderness. In fact, the wilderness is a place that is ready to teem with life. Bread raining from the sky, quail covering the land, just waiting to be picked up for dinner, water gushing from a rock that had seemed dry as bones. Life in the wilderness, not beyond it. That's what our God can do.